Praise the Lord. Woo. It's good to see everyone that is here today. Good to be in God's house. Amen. And uh, sorry, we're running a couple minutes late here this morning. Um, we've been running our youth life class for the last two or three weeks. And we've now got, I'm losing track. What have we got? Like 10 kids in there at the moment in youth. And then we've got about 10 in uh, Sunday school. And we've got a bunch here in live class this morning. So God's doing some great things. But we have to run around and get some extra notes printed and uh, get everything set up. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I need to uh, update the printer that we've got in the, um, in the back room there. I mean, it's nearly 10 years old. So I think it's time to get a new one. And thankfully, I know someone who works in printing. It's me. So I can probably arrange that relatively cheap, which means hopefully free. But we'll see how we go. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to have His way today. Praise the Lord. And let's begin to pray. Precious Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. We thank you for your word, Lord God. Thank you for the truth that is in your word, Lord God. Lord, that we can know truth, Lord God. Lord, in a world where everything is uncertain, Lord, where relativism reigns, Lord, where anything can go, Lord Jesus, we are grateful that we can open up your word and find truth, Lord God. Father, as we study, Lord, as we go through what I've set up, Lord, for the next four weeks, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Open up our mind, Lord. Open up our hearts, Lord God, to receive, to learn, to grow, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. Didn't we just have a fantastic time yesterday morning for those who came and uh, on our prayer walk? Amen. Thank you for those who made the effort to be here. I know 6.30 in the morning is quite early. Amen. But we had a great time and some good things are going to happen as we continue in that. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So we're going to start a new series for the next four weeks. And as I was praying and thinking and asking the Lord what He would have me teach on, I felt like I wanted to go over some basic doctrine, stuff that we know, but perhaps we don't know it as well as we should. And in any case, we ought to be reminded of it. Amen. So I want to spend the next four weeks, we're going to do a deep dive on the oneness of God. Now, we all know that our God is one, amen. We like to preach it, we like to shout it, but we're going to open up God's Word as a source of truth over the next four weeks, and we're going to be looking at different aspects of the oneness of God, how we know God is one, and why that is important, amen. Amen. So, of course, you get bonus points if you can guess what scripture I'm going to read to you first. Anyone got a guess? Deuteronomy 6.4, that's right, Sister Salah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. Many people believe in God. Many people believe in God. But not everybody believes that God is one. Amen. But when we look through Scripture, we can see that God is one, and God always has been one. Amen. And so, as we set this topic up, I want to start by setting a baseline about what some of the other beliefs are that are out there. What are some of the other things that people think about God, amen? 
you know, um, we use the term monotheism. That's what the oneness of God is. It's a fancy way of describing our belief that there is only one God. It's a combination of two words. The Greek word monos, which means alone, single, and theos, meaning God, monotheism, one God, God alone, amen. Now, some of the other beliefs that you might have heard of, and I'm just going to duck off here and get my bottle of water. Some of the other beliefs that you might have heard of through the, throughout the years of people you've met, um, one of them is agnostic, not agnostic, atheist, let's start with that one. Atheism. Atheists, they are someone that believes that there is no God, right? So monotheists, which is what we are, we believe there's one God. An atheist will say there is no God. I believe there's no God. Then you might have heard of agnostics. Agnostics are someone that believes that the existence of God is unknown. In other words, they say, well, there might be a God, but we don't know if there is. So I'm agnostic. I don't know if there is a God or not. So I'm not atheist. I believe that there could be something out there, but I don't know. So I'm agnostic, right? This is agnostic. Another one, pantheist. Now, this is one you might not have heard of. A pantheist is someone who equates God with nature or with the forces of the universe. And they talk about things like, oh, the universe was good to me today. Or Mother Nature has put on a beautiful day for us today, right? They are using terms that a pantheist would use, someone who believes that God is just nature, the universe, things like that. You're going to come on up here and teach with me, are you, Bo? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Another one is a polytheist. Now, these are not really Christian terms, right? These are terms outside of Christendom. Another one is polytheist, and they are someone who believes that there is more than one God. Right, So people like that would be people like Hindus who believe that there is many, many gods. The ancient Romans were polytheists. They believed in Mars, Mercury, Ceres, Apollo, Zeus, everything. They believed there was lots of gods. And you had to try and please all of them. That's what a polytheist is. Within Christianity, there's also been some views that have developed on the nature of the Godhead and who God is and and all that kind of stuff. And the first one, which I'm sure we've heard about, is Trinitarianism. Now, Trinitarianism claims that there are three gods. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And somehow they're combined in one God. They're three separate gods, but somehow combined in one God. But they can't really explain how that works. Uh, that's Trinitarianism. Another one that's very similar is Bitonarianism. It's similar to Trinitarianism, but they don't believe that the Holy Ghost is a God. They believe that there's God the Father. They believe that there is God the Son. But, you know, the Holy Spirit's not really a God. He's just kind of a force or something like that. Amen. So it's Bithenarianism. I can't say the word properly. Another one that you might have heard of before, just different Christian groups who have come up with these different ideas about who God is is still monotheism, but a denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. This group, they believe that there's one God, but they believe that Jesus is like a created God, or sort of a, a mini-God, or a demi-God, like a lesser God. Not quite as big as God the Father, 
but Jesus, his son, is just like, he's not quite as powerful. He's a little guy, right? So it's monotheism still, but not quite because Jesus is not a God. He's just like a mini God, amen? And then the last one, of course, is strict monotheism, and that's where we sit, amen? The fullness of the Godhead is manifest in Jesus Christ, amen? We believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are manifestations of God or relationships to humanity, amen? And so let's open up God's Word now, and you'll notice I don't have my Bible up here. I don't have my Bible up here because I'm using my Bible on my iPad, because we're going to be going through a lot of scriptures today. So grab your Bibles, grab your pens, grab your paper. We're going to write some of these things down. The Old Testament, we already read it this morning, Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Israel, Yahweh Elheinu, Yahweh Echad. Amen. This was the fundamental doctrine of the Jewish people. They believed that there was only one God, and that's it. Amen. As a matter of fact, for a Jewish Orthodox person, they want the Shema, because that's what that's called. From the very first word in Hebrew, Shema Israel. They want to be able to say that as the last thing they say before they die. When they're about to die, they want the last things to come out of their lips. Shema Israel, Yahweh Elheinu, Yahweh Akkad. That's how important it is to them, amen. And then, of course, the very next verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, amen. This verse is a command that requires total belief in God and a love for Him as the only one God. Amen. But now I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you'll notice that God didn't just leave it with those statements, but there's a lot more to it after that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 says this, and these words which I command you today, you shall teach, shall be in your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Amen. In verse 6, God said, you've got to place this in your heart. In other words, this understanding that there is only one God and you are to love Him with all your heart, your soul and strength is not something you just agree with mentally, not something you just go, oh yes, I believe that's true because the pastor told me. No, it's something that's got to be in your heart that you believe with all your heart. God said you've got to hide it in your heart. You've got to teach it to your children, verse 7 says. Did you know in Sunday school right now? Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 is the memory verse that they learned last week. This week they're learning Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. And on the way to church this morning, Jonathan and I, hear O Israel, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord is one. All the way to church, over and over and over and over again. Why? Because he's got to be drilled into his head so it gets into his heart. I told him, because he was getting a bit grumpy towards the end, he was like, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to read my book. So buddy, I'm teaching you this because you've got to hide it in your heart. That's what David said, your word I've hid in my heart. This is what it means to memorize scripture. 
Amen. So the Bible tells us you've got to teach it to your children. It says it's got to be bound to your head and your forehead in verse 8. It's got to be written on the posts and the doors of your house. And, you know, I think I've told you the story before when I was in Melbourne one time working for another organization. I visited an Orthodox Jewish school where they were teaching kids. It was a school, K to 12, right? But it was based on Orthodox Judaism. And every single door had a little box on the side and inside that little box was a little piece of paper and on that little piece of paper was written hero israel the lord our god the lord is one and every time a teacher or a staff member would walk through the doors they would stop touch the put their fingers on the box and go hero israel the lord our god the lord is one and they would move on. Orthodox Jews, they put a little box on their forehead as well. They tie it up, and in there is the Shema. They put it on their hand, and it's there. It's so important to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Amen. But many other verses of Scripture also tell us in the Old Testament that God is one. Amen. The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, the very first one. Thou shalt have no other God before me. No other God before me. God said there is no other God with him in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39. In Isaiah 44 and verse 6, God said, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Amen. Another verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 48 verse 11, God says, I will not give my glory to another. Why? Because he's the only God, and there's only one of them, and he refuses to share it with anybody else. Amen. There is only one God. God in the Bible is also called the Holy One of Israel. It never says the Holy Two. It never says the Holy Three. never says the Holy Many. It says the Holy One. And so the language of the Old Testament, I've just given you a few scriptures there, the whole language of the Old Testament over and over again categorically says the Lord is one. There's nobody else. There's no Savior beside me, God says. There's only one God. That's what the Old Testament says. The Old Testament affirms that God is absolutely one in number. Someone say praise the Lord. Now what about the New Testament though? What about the New Testament? The New Testament explicitly repeats the message of one God that was taught in the New Testament. Amen. And it makes sense because if we really believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if we truly believe when God says in the Old Testament, I am the Lord, I change not, then why would it suddenly be changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Surprise, there's four of me now. There's six of me. I didn't tell you, but here I am. No, that doesn't make sense, does it? But when we read the New Testament, we see that God teaches. There is only one. God's Word backs that up as well. Look at this. Romans chapter 3 and verse 30. The Bible says this, Seeing it is one God which shall justify. How many gods? One God that will justify. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 4, Paul writes, he says, There is none other God but one. Amen. None other God but one. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6, and I think we're going to read that a little bit later, but it says this, for there is one God and Father of all. One God. Amen. 
First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God. So over and over again through the New Testament, we see these constant references. There's one God. There's one God. There's one God. And of course, one that I'm sure we know, James 2.19. You believe that there is one God? You do well. The devils also believe and they tremble. Amen. So we know that there is one God. Amen. And again, in the New Testament, we find the phrase, the Holy One. In 1 John 2 verse 20, it doesn't say that there's a holy three or a holy four or a holy eight or a holy many. It says he is the holy one. Amen. And then, of course, finally, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2. John looks up into heaven and God takes him up there and he sees a throne set in heaven. And there is only one throne that John sees. And John sees only one person sitting on the throne. He doesn't see three. He doesn't see two. He doesn't see many. He doesn't see lots of thrones. He sees one throne and one person sitting on the throne. Amen. There is only one God. And so when you study the Scriptures, when you look at the Scriptures, when you look at it in its entirety, you can see that the whole Bible teaches strict monotheism. Right from the very beginning, the people of God have always been identified with the one God message. Think about it. God chose Abraham, took him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Why? Because he was willing to follow one God. He didn't want to stick and follow all the gods that the Chaldeans worshipped. No. He had a desire to find the one true God and worship the one true God alone. So God called him out and said, okay, follow me. He didn't say follow us. Follow me. I'm the one true God. Amen. Amen. When you read through the Old Testament, God chastised Israel every time they tried to worship other gods. You see, these cycles happen, particularly in the book of Judges. I'm reading in Judges right now for my daily Bible reading. But you see that, you know, they're serving the one true God because there's a judge in Israel. He's teaching them. You've got to do the right thing. There's only one God. Let's follow what Moses taught us. And then the judge dies. And straight over, back to Baal, back to Ashtoreth, all these other false gods. And what happens? God raises up enemies to come and attack them. And they go, oh, God, we're sorry. We realize you're the one true God now. So God raises a judge up and God saves them and they worship the one true God while the judge is alive. You see it in the kings as well, right? The kings who worshiped God, the kings who did good were the ones that worshiped one God. But when they started inviting other false gods in and idols in, the kingdom was on the path to destruction. Amen? So we see that as well. And then, of course, you see that the Savior came to the world through a nation, Israel, and through a religion, Judaism, where the people had purged themselves of polytheism. The nation of Israel and Judaism was set aside to worship one true God. And so there's no mistake that they were God's chosen people. Amen. So God still demands a monotheistic worship of Him. Make no mistake, we need to worship one God. We need to pray to one God. Amen. We don't have to ever worry, well, what if I'm missing a God? What if I've made a mistake and there's a God that I've forgotten to pray to? You know, and you hear stories of people who, you know, they make sure they spend their time equally praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't want to upset God the Holy Spirit. I haven't spent that much time praying to Him. I'll, I'll pray to Him for a while, God the, God the Son and God the Father, if that's okay. It's just kind of, it seems silly, doesn't it, when we think about it. 
Amen. But when we understand there's one God, then we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our strength. Amen. How can you love one God with all your heart, soul, and strength if there's other gods that you've got to love as well? Because you're going to have divided loyalties, aren't you? One God. So what is God like then? As we talk, today we're going to talk about the nature of God. What is, what is God like? You know, many people talk about what God is like, but often... You know, they reference the Bible and they talk about God's attributes, such as God is love. What is God like? Well, God is love. What is God like? God is holy. And while that's true, these characteristics are describing who God is, not what God is. Amen. They are who God is, but they're not what God is. Amen. So what is God? What is God made of? Where does God live? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's think, first of all, what is God made of? Can you touch God? Can you wrap your hands around Him? Can you feel Him? No, of course not. The Bible says in John 4, 24, Brother Stan's favorite scripture, God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? So we know God is a spirit, and so because God is a spirit, He exists in a spiritual realm. Amen. He exists in a spiritual realm, which means most often he is invisible to the naked eye. Amen. First Timothy. Let's turn over there. And of course, after, after I'm finished, if you've got questions or anything like that, please come and see me, okay? Because I've got my notes and I want to get through them in time. But if there's something you're not sure about, come see me. First Timothy. Chapter 1 gives us a little bit of understanding about what God is. Now to the King eternal, 1 Timothy 1.17, immortal and invisible. There's three things that tells us that God is. He is eternal, He is immortal, and He is invisible. Amen. John 1.18, we won't turn there, but John 1.18 says no one has seen God at any time. No one's seen God, amen. So no human being can see God unless God chooses to step into our physical world and make himself something physical, make himself known through something physical, amen. This is not just a thought or a theory, amen. We see God doing this in Scripture, amen. We see it happen with Moses, right? Moses is walking through the desert, and all of a sudden, a bush lights up. And from the bush, a voice speaks to him. God is manifesting himself into something physical so that he can interact with the physical world. Amen. And so God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. We know also, <coughs> excuse me, in the book of Joshua, Joshua is getting ready to cross over the Jordan River. He's getting ready to attack the kingdom of Jericho, the city of Jericho. And an angel appears to him. The angel, the captain of the Lord. Amen. Now, how do we know that this was God manifesting himself into a physical object so that God could talk to Joshua? Very simple. Joshua did what? He fell down and he worshipped. If it was an angel, the angels, whoa, don't worship me. You can't worship me. We don't worship angels. But the, the captain of the Lord's armies accepted that. 
that tells us that God was manifesting himself into something physical so that he could interact with his people on earth. Amen. Another one found in 1 Kings chapter 8. The clouds of smoke that happened in King Solomon's temple. I would have loved to have been there to see that. The Bible says the presence of the Lord was so thick, the cloud and the smoke was so thick that the priests couldn't even stand to minister. They couldn't even do their job because they were overcome by the presence of the Lord. Amen. And then, of course, the other one in the Old Testament, the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. Amen. We know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow down to the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had set up. And so the king ended up throwing them into the fiery furnace. It was heated seven times hotter, the Bible tells us, than it was ever been heated. But then when the king looked in, he didn't see three people walking around in the fire. No, he saw four. He said there was one like unto the Son of Man. There was a fourth one that the king did not throw in there walking around. Why? God is manifesting himself into the physical world so he can interact. Amen. And then, of course... 1 Timothy 3.16. Let's turn there this morning. The greatest example of God manifesting Himself. And without controversy, 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was Paul talking about? God. There was only one God in Paul's mind, a strict Orthodox Jew. He'd been raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew there was one God. And so when Paul says God was manifest in the flesh, he's telling Timothy, the God who manifests himself to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to the three Hebrew children, that same God has chosen to manifest himself again in flesh. Amen justified in the spirit seen by angels preached among the gentiles believed on in the world received up into glory amen and matthew 1 23 says you'll bring forth a child you shall call his name jesus amen i think that's 123 and so understanding then that god is a spirit but he manifests into physical form particularly in Jesus Christ as the greatest example of it, the question then is, well, where does God live? Do you ever think about that? Where does God live? Maybe we think, well, God lives in heaven. Of course God lives in heaven. He's got a throne there. God lives in heaven and God kind of looks down over the clouds, stops the angels from playing their harps for a few minutes so he can listen in on what's going on. Right? Maybe we think God lives in heaven. Maybe we don't know where God lives. But if God is a spirit, where is God? We know He's in a spiritual realm, but is that close to us? Is it far away from us? Where do we find God? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Now, to understand, of course, the importance of this question, we have to remember, there is only one God. God doesn't exist as multiple. He doesn't exist as a plurality. Amen. So where is God? Let's turn in our Bibles to Isaiah. I just want to drill this home, make sure you know. Isaiah 43, verse 11. 
I, even I, I quoted this before, I'm the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior, amen. Ephesians 4, 5 and 6, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, amen, one. So if God is one and He is invisible, where can we find Him? Can someone show me where God lives? Where can we find our God, amen? David gives us the answer. Let's flip over in our Bibles to Psalms. Psalm 139. And David gives us the answer for where God lives. This is God's address. Psalm 139, verse 7. David writes, he says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in hell or Hades, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. We see here in this passage that God is everywhere. God is not restricted to some physical location. You can travel south as far as you like and you'll still be in the presence of God. You can head up to space as far as you like to space and you will still be in the presence of God. You could join the astronauts orbiting around the earth in the International Space Station and they will still be in God's presence. You can drill down to the deepest, deepest, darkest mine. And right down the very bottom, you will still find the presence of God. There is no single location that can contain our God. He is bigger than everything else in this world. Look at this. Look what Solomon wrote about him in 1 Kings. We're talking about the nature of God this morning. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verse 27, say amen when you're there. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, Solomon says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. So not only is God everywhere, but everywhere God is still isn't big enough to sort of put God in a box. You can go out for infinity and you'll still find God. He's that big. Amen. doesn't matter how far away you go, God is there. Nothing contain Him. Heaven of heavens and earth cannot contain God. And he writes, how much less this temple that I've built. Solomon is starting to wrap his mind around just how big God is. This one God that he serves. He said, I've built you this majestic temple, God, and, and you can't even live in it. You're too big. So God is a spirit. And God is everywhere, and God is everywhere at once. He's so big, you can't contain Him anywhere. Amen? And the, the term that we use for that in English is omnipresent. It means everywhere present at once. 
Amen. And this is why we can have our church service here and we can feel the presence of God. We can worship the one true God. And Pastor Poe down the road in Edmonton, he too can worship God and he can feel the presence of God because God is everywhere at once. God doesn't have to run to us and, okay, quick, life class with Pastor. Okay, quick, I've got to go to Pastor Poe's now and, and then I've got to go down to Sydney for Pastor Stan's. No. God's everywhere at once, amen? That's why we can feel His presence here, and Pastor Tomyev in Ukraine can feel His presence over there, even at the very same time. Why? Because God is present everywhere at once. He is omnipresent, amen? And this is important for us to understand. Why? Because it means it doesn't matter where we are, we can call out to the one true God and get His attention and His help whenever we want it. Why? Because He's already there. This is why knowing one God is important because we know who we pray to and He's right there whenever we need Him, amen. In the darkest hour of the night, in the earliest hour of the morning, when things are going great, when things are going bad, God is still there. The Bible also tells us that he who keeps Israel never sleeps nor slumbers, amen. I got a call from my dad this morning. Six o'clock in the morning. I was still sleeping. I thought something had gone wrong. I'm ringing back. What's going on? He said, oh, sorry. I accidentally dialed you. I was trying to call Pastor Jeffrey. And Jeffrey was next to Jason. At least that's what mom told me. <laughs> but God's not like that. When we need God, he'll be there. He's ready. He's waiting for you to talk to him. Amen. And when you call God, he's like, oh, come on. Don't you know what time it is? My favorite show's on the TV right now. Please leave me alone. Come. No, God's not like that. God never slumbers nor sleeps, the Bible tells us. So He is a spirit. He is everywhere. He is everywhere at the same time. And He's anywhere that we could ever go. God is there. Amen. Someone ought to say amen. No matter where we are, He can and He will hear us. And he is able to touch us in our hour of need. Let's look at a couple of scriptures to back this up. Psalm 145. 145, verse 18. When you understand the nature of God, verses like this make so much more sense. Look at this. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, and to all who call upon Him in truth. Notice the caveat there. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But that whole phrase, the Lord is near, it doesn't mean that we go, Oh God, I need your help. And God's like, Okay, I've got to run over there to go see Pastor Jason. He needs me. No, He's already here. Before I even know He's got a need, before I even know I've got a need, He's already here knowing that I'm going to have a need, because He's God. Amen? Amen. So the Bible tells us there is one God. The Bible tells us that He is a spirit, and that He also is also described as a literal individual being. Amen? God is not just some force. God is not just nature. God is not just, you know, some feeling. Right? God is a being with thoughts and feelings and attributes. How do you know this? Because you see it in the Bible. God, the Bible says, is jealous. Well, hang on. If you're just a force, 
you know, if you're like, electricity doesn't get jealous. No, but God does. God gets angry. Jesus was moved with compassion. God showed compassion to his people. Bible says that he raised up prophets because of their crying and their growing. Why? Because he's moved. And that shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says we are created in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. Amen. And if we are created in the image of God, we are in some measure like God is, and we feel emotions. We feel anger. We feel joy. We feel hope. So does God. We're created in his image. Amen. He is the template from which we came from. Amen. So we understand that he has emotions because we are emotional beings. Amen. So what are some other things about God's nature? Now that we know that God is a spirit, and now that we know where God is, which is everywhere, all at the same time, omnipresent, let's have a look at who God is. What is God's attributes? What are God's attributes? What, what is God like? Is He a nice God? Is He a mean God? Is He a caring God? Does our God have any weaknesses? Is there something God doesn't like? You know, is God a bit like Superman? Like Superman, super strong, super fast, he can fly, but when there's kryptonite, ooh, no, I can't handle that. Does God have weak? What is God like? Amen. We know who God is. We know that God is one. We know that he's a spirit. We know where he is. Well, what is God? Let's look at what the Bible says. Let's grab your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Job. Go to chapter 34. Job chapter 34, and we'll read verse 21. Say amen when you're there. It says this, For his eyes, talking about God, are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. Not some of them. Not the ones that happen in the daytime. Not the ones that happen when the lights are on. God's not blind. He can see in the dark. God sees all our steps. Now, the, the word we use for this is omniscient, or in other words, God is all-knowing. So God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present at the same time. He's also omniscient, which means He knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. That should give us some confidence, because when God says there's something He doesn't know, like, I don't know of any other gods beside me, you would think the one who knows everything would know the answer to that, right? Hello? So God is all-knowing. That means not only does God see our actions, God sees what we do and the things that happen on the outside, but God can see our minds and our thoughts and our hearts and knows what's going on, amen? We see this in the Scripture. Why did King David get anointed? He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the fastest. He probably wasn't even the best looking. He didn't have the biggest muscles. And yet God said to Samuel, I look on the inward. Man looks on the outward. God judged David's heart and said, that's the man I want as king. Right? So God knows our heart. God knows our mind, our thoughts. And that ought not to worry us. Sometimes we get a little worried. Oh, my goodness. God knows my heart and my mind, my thoughts. That actually brings me great comfort. Why? Because I know when I'm struggling with something, God already knows that I'm struggling with something because He knows everything, amen? 
Amen. And so I can come to God when I've failed God, when I've made a mistake, when I've let God down. I don't have to go to Him like a sheepish child who's broken a cup and nobody knows about it. And then I've got to fess up to mom and dad. God already knows I broke the cup. God already knew I was going to break the cup. And so when I come to God, I don't have to come to God afraid of what God is going to say because He already knows. He is omniscient. Amen. There is many scriptures in the Bible that calls God the Almighty. Almighty God. Genesis 17.1 is one of them. 35.11 is another one. But Almighty, in other words, He is all-powerful. And this attribute we call omnipotent. Right? That doesn't mean God is the strongest. It means that God has all the power. He's not just the strongest on a group of strong people. No, no, no. God has all the power. All power and all authority is in God. Amen. You cannot take away from God's power. Amen. So God doesn't get weak over time. Let's say I pray for someone that's, you know, got cancer. And I pray for them in the name of Jesus. And they are healed. And it's a miracle. And we're excited. And the next person comes up and they've got a headache. And I pray for them. And God says, oh, no, I can't do that. No, no, I used all my power taking care of the cancer. And I'm just, I'm out for the day. Let me recharge. No, that's not what God is. God has all the power. So God can heal a headache. God can heal cancer. God can create the universe. It's no different to Him. He's got all the power. Amen. These are attributes of our God. So He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once, everywhere present at the same time. He's omniscient, which means He knows everything there is to know. There's nothing outside of His knowledge. And He's omnipotent, which means He has all the power. When the Bible calls Him the Almighty God, that's what it's saying. He's not the halfway mighty, the little bit mighty, the sum of the might. He is almighty. He's got all the power. Amen? Amen. This is important to know because this feeds directly into the one God that we serve and why there is power in knowing the one true God. Amen? He's omnipotent. As a matter of fact, Romans 13 verse 1 says, The powers that be are ordained of God. In other words, nobody can exercise authority outside of God. I don't even think we realize how powerful that is. When Jesus was before Pilate, Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power to set you free or condemn you to death? And Jesus turned around and said, you have no power except that God's given it to you. Don't get too, don't get too up and mighty, Pilate. Amen. Our prime ministers, our governments, our pastors, our church leaders are only here because our power comes from God. If he was to withdraw his power and authority by his right, we would fall. Simple as that. Our power comes from God. Amen. God's only limitations are those that he places on himself due to his holy moral nature. He abides by his own moral nature, so God cannot lie. You want to know something God cannot do? God cannot lie. Why? Because it's against his nature. He cannot lie. Amen. He will not contradict his word. How are we doing for time? Okay, we're running out of time. Let me speed on. Here's another attribute. God is holy. Right? That means he is perfect. He is pure. He set apart. Amen. First Samuel. Let's turn to a couple of these scriptures. First Samuel chapter 2. And verse 2 says this, No one is holy like 
the Lord, for there is none beside you. Amen. 1 Samuel 2, chapter 2. There is none holy like the Lord. There's no one holy like God. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 16. Let's see if I can remember it. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy. Right? We're called to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Amen. We are to be holy. God is good. Over and over and over. Yeah, all the time. That's right. God is good. It's in his nature. He can't help it. He's a good God. Psalm 145. Let's turn there. Psalm 145 verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his work. We serve a good God. Amen. We serve a good God. God is just. That word just means perfectly balanced. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Amen. Our God is just. That means when we come to Him, we don't have to worry about explaining our story because He already knows. We don't have to explain how we're hurt because He already knows. And we don't have to question His judgment because His judgment will be just. It'll be balanced. It'll be fair. It'll be right. No one will be able to criticize God's judgment because He is just. Amen. And of course, God is merciful and God is loving. Amen. And aren't we glad we serve a merciful and a loving God? And so as we wrap up today, let's all stand. Imagine for a moment if we didn't serve a perfect God. Imagine if we didn't know who we served. Wouldn't it be a waste of time, though, if we were serving an imperfect God? We have the opportunity to know who God is, and to serve a God who has proven over and over again to be perfect in every aspect. God is perfect. You know, we throw around the perfect word just a little bit too easy sometimes. Man, that was a perfect kick. What a great goal. Man, you did a perfect job cooking that meal. You know, we, do, we use that word a little bit like, I think God is perfect. God is perfect perfect. There is nothing wrong with God. Amen. He is perfect in justice, and yet He is perfect in love. He is perfect in mercy and perfect in holiness. He sees all things, amen, because He's all-knowing. He sees our hearts. He sees our mistakes, and yet His grace is perfect, and He desires us even with our flaws, and He's near to us. Don't we serve a great God this morning? Don't we serve a great God? Let's just lift our hands and worship Him together right now. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that we know who you are, Lord God, that you are a spirit. And, Lord, that you are everywhere present at once, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that we know who we serve, that there is only one God, and we magnify you today, Lord God. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are perfect in all your ways. We thank you, Lord, that there is none like you, Lord God, that the one who knows everything doesn't even know anyone else who's like you, Lord Jesus. You, Lord, reign supreme. You stand 
stand alone, Lord God. Nobody compares to you, Lord God. You're in a class all by yourself, and we worship you, and we praise you, and we thank you, and we magnify you today. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Father, have your way, Lord, through the rest of this day, Lord, as we worship you in Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.